0: love talk radio here at aco radio american communications online or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guest hosts or call-ins may say all programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only
1: ground troops spinning around smartly on the planet earth Gaia where we live this is home out there on a the little ball that you can barely see if you're out above the galaxies where we are with all the radio airwaves and all the higher universes however some of us choose to come down here and embody a physical biological entity some people call them Ebens. <laughs> extra biological entities, and we're going to talk with Jan Aldrich, who happens to be on the planet walking around in a meat suit, and he has been spending many, many years studying others and observing government relations and security and intel, and we're helping our veterans that have worn uniforms in the past with our UFO Association and our UAP Associates That's right, folks, UFOs, which is Unidentified Flying Objects. However, the latest news is not really news, but because we are archivists, historians, and investigators, researchers, and reporters, we are going to share again when that UAP actually began prior to the latest lingo hashtag name for UFOs is now UAP. For unidentified anomalous phenomena, are to some people they prefer unidentified aerial phenomena, and nowadays with NASA, we're going to actually get a not very much money I'm hearing at least in everyday talk. Yesterday, my friend Jan Aldrich, our UAP Associates reporter, has reminded me that we are going to actually say we're looking for UFOs in public, uh, what we call hashtag news these days. And, you know, they say TV is dead, but radio never dies because radio waves go on forever. So we welcome all you people out there that have ears that want to listen to us tonight and help us form our UFO Association with our UAP associates and all you citizen journalists out there that are helping us in social media. And we are in the United States of America. However, we have friends in many, many countries and all over Eurasia and uh, Australia, uh, Pine Gap out in the middle of Australia, right? That dot at night you can see is Pine Gap. But tonight, we're going to let Jan Aldrich, she is an internationally well-known ufologist, meaning that he has studied ufos, and he has the history of being a historian and now an orator as well with Ace Life Historical Society, Historians for American Communications Online, and we have formed a uh, Very new platform, but it's actually all the old files that he's been collecting for years. He has a project called 1947, and we're going to delve into that and what all that means for all of you people out there that want to be a UFO uh, uh, experiencer. Uh, maybe you've already been an abductee, contactee, or maybe you know what, we're talking about maybe you've been in the center of UFO studies. Maybe you've been uh, our society, center of UFOs. I'm going to let him uh, talk about that and all the ones prior, NICAP and ARPA-DARPA and NARCAP and, uh, <laughs> and, gosh, so many APRO. He knows a lot more acronyms than I do. So let me get Jan Aldrich on here. Jan Aldrich, are you ready to be a UFO or UAP reporter tonight for us?
0: (laughs) Okay, yes. uh, So yesterday, uh, not yet, well, yesterday some news organizations, some news organizations uh, went ahead and announced that uh, NASA is going to uh, start a modest uh, UFO investigation program has to do with, uh, uh, safety. Uh, and they have, uh, already talked about the 11 cases where UFOs came, uh, very close to, uh, aircraft and they, uh the whole uh, business is uh, is one of the things that they want to study. Now, um, I, I found some information about UAP. Um, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Richard Haynes, who was an, uh, a NASA contractor, uh, started using the term back in 1980 for his own work. And he formed uh, an organization called NARCAP, which was uh, uh, also concerned with uh, UFO uh, safety. He would say, hey, I am not running a UFO organization. I am running an aviation safety thing now. Uh, Dominic Weinstein, who was working with uh, Richard Haynes, Dominic Weinstein is in France, and uh, he's a captain in the uh, police over there, or in the DST, which is sort of equivalent to our FBI. Uh, He's been interested in this since the uh, early 90s. So he is working with the French, he was working with the French Space Agency. And he compiled a list of 300 cases of UFOs either uh, being in close proximity to uh, aircraft. That is uh, crossing the path of the aircraft, Uh, being on a collision course with the aircraft, and at the last minute changing, so there was no uh, hit, um, pacing the aircraft, sitting sitting off the wing, uh, circling the aircraft, uh other provocative things such as chasing the aircraft and uh so nasa is starting from their 11 case uh, uh collection while worldwide though no, uh weinstein has uh Found 300 cases that uh, fit this bill. Now, yesterday, NBC on NBC Nightly News announced the NASA uh, program it was very interesting to hear uh, hear them say that no other space agency has uh, studied UFOs. So fact checking was not their hot suit yesterday. Um, The Indonesian Space Agency uh, has been working on UFOs for quite a while. Uh, The Indonesian Air Force is also, they're working on UFOs. The problem is um, language barrier uh Colonel Saltan he was he first worked on the uh Indonesian uh, Air Force Chief of Staff uh office and he was a uh, he was essentially in charge of the UFO problem so he wrote books back in the uh, um, 60s and 70s about UFOs in Indonesia. Uh, Kufos got one of these books. And uh, uh, a scientist I know in uh, Australia, he has an Indonesian wife. So I made copies of and sent it to her, and she translated it into English. So it's, uh, uh tells about his workings and uh, investigations of UFOs and UFO cases. He uh, he uh, went ahead and uh, put in the files. So. Uh, when they when the Indonesian government for, formed a space agency, uh, he he became the head of that. So there is one space agency that was interested in UFOs, and the other one, and most people in ufology know this that the French space agency has been uh, looking into UFOs back to the to the sixties um yeah that's right the six so they've had three uh three uh organizations working within the french space agency the first was uh guy pan um and uh it went on for a while then they went to uh which was, uh, run by Gene jacques Valesco. Um, uh, Gene Jos Valesco and, uh, um, uh, Dominic Weinstein came over, uh, and met us at one of the, uh, MUFON conferences that we attended. And, uh, so we were kidding because we knew that uh, Dominic was a was a uh, an anti-terrorist police officer. He said, he said, "Here we are, Ed Stewart, uh, Lauren Gross, and myself, and we're we're sitting there waiting for his plane to land." And uh, he said, "You know, this might be a setup." He might get off the plane and we might be all arrested. (laughs) But he didn't do that. So, uh, and we got introduced to the uh, head of the French space agency UFO group, uh, Jean-Jacques Valesco. Uh, After that, we planned uh, in 1999 a uh, history set up a history group to sign historical, uh, group. And we met in Chicago at the airport. So we had once again, Weinstein, uh, Valesco, uh, we had some of the Italian people come in and, uh, 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 people from the U.S. and Canada. Um, And we got an astronomer to uh, address our first session. Uh, uh, Some of you may know him. He wrote on uh, uh, extraterrestrial, the concept of extraterrestrial life. Uh, He's written several books. concept during the Middle Ages was his doctorate. then he had, uh, you know, uh, current concepts of extraterrestrial life theories and concepts, and then he did ancient. And uh, he was he was going to a conference on his own with his peers and everything. But uh, he came over and saw us, and he said, "I'm uh, I'm playing hooky from." From uh, the conference with my uh, astronomer friends to come over and talk to you about UFOs. And he says, I'm doing this because I think this is an important subject. So he he had the uh, keynote speech to our conference, which was about uh, uh, 30 people. And uh, Dr. Searidge was there. The people from CUFOS, uh from before, and it was uh, very interesting. We we set up essentially uh, a, 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 a history working group about UFOs, and we were we were fortunate to have some some people from overseas that were highly interested who asked go about what he was doing. He could tell us, but he said, "I can't tell you what the Air Force is doing, the French Air Force, because they uh, they're keeping everything on a tight hold." However, I found out recently that they've loosened their grip a little bit because uh, I got uh, a uh, a summary of 600 sightings worldwide. And within that summary are a number of French Air Force and a few French Navy sightings uh, from aircraft, and so that was that was very uh, oh, what can I say auspicious. It's very nice because uh, before all these the, the French people are complaining over there. The French ufologists would say. The Air Force such has such a tight hold on um cases that happen to their pilots and things that we know almost nothing about what they're doing, but now they've loosened up a little bit so now we do have French cases Mirage fighters uh fighters from uh, uh French aircraft carriers and things like that so that's um that's, that's really something there. So uh, those are two organizations, space agencies, which have already studied, and in the French case, still studying UFOs. So I uh, I tweaked NBC and said, hey, have you guys uh, checked this out that both uh Indonesian and the French Air Force are uh uh excuse me, the French space agency, both space agencies have already considered UFOs and the French uh have a an active U uh UFO uh investigation run by the the French space agency, S N E S. So that was that was interesting. So I got I got immediately a whole bunch of likes on Facebook when I when I put that in. So we'll we'll see what NBC has to say.
1: I don't think they're <laughs> well, going to
0: run a retraction.
1: So Jan Aldrich takes on the big national broadcast corporation. Is that the, the NBC you're speaking of? NBC. That's uh, so who I'm talking
0: about. <laughs> oh NBC Nightly News.
1: Oh my yeah. goodness. Let's, uh, yeah, I said I, I said uh, you know, I got, I got I got on their
0: I I got on their message site and sent them a message. I you know, I haven't heard a reply yet. Probably never will hear a reply, but anyways I uh You're trying I to did point that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So-
1: We'll have to get who was reading the teleprompter. Is that what it's called when they're reading like the president? Yep, yep. You know, so that the
0: was – Teleprompter. Uh, yeah, so that Somebody was – Somebody
1: head up. That's
0: right. The producer didn't do any checking. That's the problem.
1: Uh-huh. They don't check the, the history. So this is something that we've been discussing among our journalists, reporters, historians, and also authors, but – You know, folks, you're only as good as you decide to be, and that doesn't matter what you're in. So we are going to discuss that with Jan because some perceived notions of what our reality is can be based on our own personal experiences. But here we come and we compare notes, and like Dan said, there have been these groups from way back in the day. And if you'll pay attention to what our uh, people are doing in the now, we know people are, are have been on the planet way before the 12,000 or the deluge stories of the flood. And just in White Sands, where I got to frequent uh, White Sands, they're doing all these investigations and finding all the footprints with animals. And we know that we're like 23,000 years Ago, we had people up against some very gigantic sloths, giant sloths. And this is provable, but you'll just have to do your own homework. So there's things we know about in today's reality that we didn't know, even when I, Jan and I was growing up in the early 50s. Our, you know, Jan and I came about in 67 forward. We're going to claim that doing uh, things. And Jan and I are orb children, meaning that we were interested in orbs. I saw them after death defying uh, hepatitis and going out of my body and being visited. And they've always been around me. And I really wondered when one visited me once when I was writing for UFO Digest in Canada and uh, on the wall showed me all these amazing things that I didn't understand because they were... uh, diagrams and uh this is something that sounds very strange and i don't really talk about it much haven't in 10 years but this is our 10th year anniversary we're celebrating here with jan aldrich she was recommended by dr bruce Maccabee, who actually was the uh briefer for the central intelligence agency back in the day he actually went over and gave briefings on the central intelligence agency and now I understand uh We're working with a lot of the retired veterans. And I know that Rick Doty has recently done, uh, in the last year or two, a show with uh, Dr. Stephen Greer, who is a well-known ufologist out there. I remember back in the day when we were talking, before he was known, he was still an ER doctor. I think it was South Carolina. But he's coming up and coming, so people think of him, at least in TV land, because he he helped Stephen Bassett and many others go up before Washington D.C., and that probably didn't change much since '63 with the Kennedy assassinations. But we we I always wondered why did the Kennedy assassination have anything to do with Jim Mars and reporting and Jim? Uh, he wrote a book on that, and uh, it all crossed over into UFO studies. So. I'm very interested in how we're going to go forward in this international group of the Center of UFO Studies, which Jan and I have been working with for many years. But Jan and I got out of uniform roughly around the same time, which I, find, I think that's very strange. But uh, Jan, I was uh, my, May 10th, 1967, going to Washington, D.C., government's in the Houston Chronicle. There's a picture of me, It's Ginger Thurmond. T H U R M O N D and then later on Strom Thurmond, who was the senator of South Carolina, he uh, called me when I was at the University of Alabama and I had investigative services. So I was already an investigator at twenty eight. But he called me about coming to Washington and said, What do you know about UFOs? <laughs> and I said, UFOs? I still remember what uh what do you mean? <laughs> So apparently he was working with Philip Corso, so when my dad took us to Washington, D.C., and uh, we got to go to Smithsonian, and do all these run around, that was 80. So my history, Jan had, doesn't really know, but he's been working with me several years now, at least here. But we both worked in a vault, which is interesting. We were both security managers. We were both called adjutants, him for Army, me Navy. But we have a lot of interesting coincidences. Now, Jan, with all these extraterrestrial uh, thoughts coming and going on the planet and people coming and going, they like to talk about the exciting part that has to do with them personally. And some are contactees, some experiencers, and some abductees. But with you experiencing your first orb as a child that really got you interested moving forward, when did you? feel like you became a a bona fide ufologist was it after you got out of uniform in the post office but when did you claim because you asked me that one time and i thought thought isn't that interesting because i remember i didn't use it until 2007 when i wrote for canada i wasn't allowed to call myself a ufologist, anything to do with ufos but stanton friedman anointed me Back in the day on the Jesse Marcel case in 1975. So we're going to have to talk about this tonight since we're going to start classifying for the entire world and on cyberspace on radio waves. So when were you, in your own mind, let's say you were indoctrinated or you accepted the word ufologist? Can you tell me what year that would be?
0: Well... Let's see, I see. I I don't think you, people use the word ufologist for quite a while. Yeah, I'll
1: they weren't using, back me, the I... they weren't using it back in the fifties
0: <laughs> and sixties. They weren't using it back in the fifties. No, <laughs> they were using it back then. But uh, when I saw I saw ball lightning in junior high, and that got me interested in ball lightning, which of course is. Uh, at the time the encyclopedia britannica said had a big article about ball lightning uh, it had discussions of what it could be it had sightings of ball lightning um theories about ball lightning some people said well was, there's a lightning flash and then you see, you know the after effects of your eyes you see uh you see uh your your uh your optical uh system is overwhelmed so you've got you see these balls of light um, and I, i'm i'm inter- i I was interested to read that because one of the sightings was this woman was sitting in her uh bed with her husband the husband was asleep and ball lightning came into her bedroom and uh there were lightning flashes at the time. So that's what the that's what this smart guy, this theorist brought forward. But then he didn't he he couldn't explain how she woke up her husband who had been in the sleep and didn't see any lightning flashes. He seen ball lightning. So put that theory to uh head right there. Um, oh, I read blamed, uh, 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 Edward Rupelt's uh um, uh the report on unidentified flying objects, which he had written he he had been the Project Gruber chief from fifty one to fifty three and so i then I got interested in that, so I read all the uh u f o books in the library. there were quite a few as a matter of fact and uh
1: now we're talking about uh, his report in forty nine what year was uh I'm missing some of my book
0: so uh well uh his his book was, uh, was, went on sale in 56 and it covers 51 to 53 when he was the, head, the chief of Project Blue Book. Of course, he, he put a lot of history in his book, um, which is uh, very interesting because for the longest time, uh, the Air Force was very stingy with information and he revealed a whole bunch of things that uh, uh, it took years for them to come out the documents he had. Uh, he talked about the, the commander of AMC uh, uh, writing a, an opinion for AMC, uh, General Nathan Twining. Saying the UFOs were uh, real and not uh, any kind of mystical thing, but were actually real things, and they should be investigated. Um, He did that by calling his uh, senior staff and leadership together, and they had a meeting, and they decided. In fact, they had been asked by the Pentagon for the uh, their opinion opinion of AMC and so uh he called his senior leadership together and uh they mm. hashed it out and the uh Colonel McCoy who was the in charge of intelligence his uh he was a colonel but his his slot was um uh, commanding general of a m c for intelligence t two that was his title so he was filling a general slot uh there were two generals at that meeting besides uh, twining uh general brentnell and general P- put general put was uh uh really an expert on uh german uh aviation um, like he, he 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 told people he said the the uh the Germans were probably 10 years ahead of us in design as far as aircraft go of course they had they had a jet in the Second World War we didn't but uh he was very he was a visionary he was a visionary so He he also had uh, input into that report. So they they more or less together decided what would be sent back to the Pentagon, and Colonel McCoy wrote the letter, and then under the direction of uh, General Twining, Twining signed the letter. So everybody says it's a Twining letter, and it's, they act like the general went into his office and wrote the letter. No, he didn't. The way things happen in the, in in the military, the staff uh, has a lot of input, uh, a, uh, especially a general's staff. They he's got he's got experts on intelligence operations, logistics, personnel, admin. So he he has all these people keeping him informed about what's going on. He doesn't. He, he it isn't his business to know everything, but all these people are uh, essentially subject matter experts, and he calls on them for the knowledge he needs there. So that's that's uh, that's how that letter was written. He called on his aviation and rocketry and other experts in the field and uh, they looked at the UFO problem and came up with uh with the the letter and then it was written and signed. That's uh that's more or less how nineteen forty seven. Well, Ruppelt revealed that in his book. So for the next ten years, the Air Force said this letter didn't exist until in the project '60s. Wrote? No, it's got no, it, it, this letter Nothing was do uh, done before Project Sign. Oh
1: wow! In fact, one so of the reasons they, they the one of the
0: reasons they one of the reasons they wrote the letter was because they were thinking of having a permanent UFO project which were, and so uh with uh there was another thing called uh UFOs over uh over the US and that was put together with General Twining's letter and they requested a permanent investigation uh for UFOs and uh it was approved in January of forty-eight, and it, it was called Project Sign. Uh, the investi- there was an investigation from the second uh, of July, nineteen forty-seven, but that was an interim investigation. It had no name. General Planning authorized it because he he could start his own project uh with his uh, under his own authority he could do that but the next time the budget cycle came around and every year they decide the budget so the next time the budget cycle came around if he wanted to continue with that project he had to request uh the project be made permanent so that's one of the reasons that letter was written but like I said, RuPelt revealed that in his book that the, this letter existed. But until nineteen, till about nineteen sixty-eight, I think it was, they denied that it, it existed. So they said, "There, yeah, no, it's not, nothing like that." You know, he didn't. They didn't say Roosevelt was lying. They just said we don't have anything like that. So there, you know. So, uh, they burned all the, uh, the
1: records, didn't they? Now, you think, what's that? Uh, according to according to Ruppelt, he said the psychological effect from the war of the world with Orson Welles and people jumping out of windows or packing up and leaving their families behind or whatever. Mm-hmm. You hear all the stories back in '38 in the radio since we're on radio, folks. We're not doing uh, anything like that, but some people came on the radio, namely Orson Welles and others. And they did a a story, like Jan and I are talking now to you, about UFO Association and UAP Associates, which is the new clique in 2022. But back in the day, in 1938, there was Orson Welles on radio, like we are now. But they made this whole big speech before they had television tubes. And um, it was October 30th, 1938, so... Orson Welles presented – maybe you guys have seen the movie, The War of the Worlds broadcast, but uh, later on we have Keanu Reeves in there uh, doing War of the Worlds. But it was mind-changing, and that's a quote according to the man that wrote Unidentified Flying Objects, which I asked Jan a question about him being a ufologist, but he's explaining that we didn't even use the word ufologist till a certain time. I remember wondering if we were going to use that with Stanton T. Friedman, but that was 2006 and 7 with Canada and U.S. So, uh, Jan, this UFO reports from, you know, they had a change, a split in the Pentagon because they were, you know, they used to say there was so much brass in the Pentagon. I don't know if there still is, but they were Busy pouring coffee, and you know, they a lot of them were complaining and just hanging out till they got their retirement. So through the years, so apparently back in the day, they had more brass than they had to do with, but they weren't going to go get on the what he called the uh, what he called that bus. He called it Purging Falls, but at the same time, there were believers and they were non-believers. So they had, and we have that today, folks, in the UFO business. We have, and we have – it's all splintered, just like the Internet. So some believed in flying saucers and some didn't. Some, because they didn't know – they didn't want to look stupid. They didn't want to think it was one of ours or, or from another country. So they didn't have the technology we have today uh, for the original ways of seeing things. So unidentified flying objects, whether they were interplanetary or not. But some people did talk about it. So they were bold enough to say what their beliefs were, but like I said, they were top-heavy brass. They had more people than they needed, I guess, and it was 38, the War of the Worlds, and that was before 47 when Jan Aldrich has his project 1947 that he's been working on for us. And I worked on that, but I didn't know it was called anything because I was just picked up And midnight and taken in a van and taken out to talk to Jesse Marcel about the pieces of the original crash and uh, his story. So we were putting together the two crashes that happened, but we had two – one imploded. The other one was was supposed to be just set down and had uh, one guy still lived for a while. So we can get into all that heavy story with Jan. But the reason, the kids are asking me all the time why. They don't want to hear the history. But the reason it's important is you don't understand how many of us have had to live and see our parents. And it was very shaming to believe in UFOs and to be uh, accused of it. And they thought there was such a huge difference in the civilian world, even among scientists, and they kept it top secret. And so we have this whole splintering. Of those that either believed in interplanetary spaceships or flying saucers and the UFO, I guess Jan, we're going to agree. Are we going to agree to agree or agree to disagree that the report on unidentified di- unidentified flying objects is going to be the start of at least the word UFO, and then we got to go to the history of just Those that well, say
0: the first time it was used it was in a Canadian document on. Three July nineteen forty-seven, but and it had been used before Ruppelt, but Ruppelt started using the UFO abbreviation. He's the one that's responsible for that. So they used to call them, They would call them occasionally, occasionally unidentified flying objects. But he's the one that coined UFO.
1: All right. So historically, where's that in? Cyberspace culture, or on in, are in
0: intelligence. Well, he world, started that when he, when he when uh, he when when he when he became head of Project Blue Book. He be, he became head of Project Blue Book as a as a lieutenant. So you Major think that SWAT. in our
1: all right? So military, the Air Force. You want to go back to uh, for all the kids that watch the TV show Roswell. And why it's such well, a big deal? Well,
0: back in back in back in forty seven, they didn't call them that. They called them flying discs. The official thing was flying discs, and okay. uh, what that about that Pink was a. Uh, the they, they 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 thought that they uh they should come up with a with a uh, a more respectable name. So that's when UFOs came or Unidentified Flying Objects came to the fore, and Rupert just coined the UFO as an abbreviation. So that's about uh, 51, 52 there. Before that, if you you go down to the National Archives, you'll find that uh, correspondence about flying disks is uh 0.09 uh in the archives file the decimal file uh so they have a they uh military the at least the army and the air force the navy does everything different but uh uh if you if you want to go look up uh ufos you have to if, for the early days you have to look at uh the flying disc files
1: flying disk, and the fly decimal disk.
0: number is 0.09 nice now twice before <laughs> no, so so started it being uh a little more respectable instead of flying disc is unidentified flying objects in other words you you don't say they're disks because some of them were rectangular and triangular so that's what it, that's what happened like I was saying though about the twining letter that did not show up until 67 now when I got to go to the archives some people had already done that and it, it, the twining letter was already uh, circulating, it was in the Condon Committee, uh, report. Now, uh, therefore said they didn't have it. So I found it in... For a flying saucer project, or they called it a flying disc project. Uh, the Twining letter and the, the, the letter from, uh, the, uh, It wasn't a letter. It was a a listing of uh, UFO sightings, Um, and it was called uh, uh, "Flying Discs over over the USA." So those two documents were the basis for the request for having a flying uh, uh, a, a UFO project, Project Sign was finally, uh, uh, decided it was going to be project science. So, uh, so I found it in the request for a UFO project. I found it also in the Adjutant generals files. There was a copy of the twining memo. Okay. And there was a copy of the twining memo, uh, at ATIC, which that uh, people what
1: ATIC is for. That's an acronym. Well, it,
0: but, yeah. Uh, See, right. ATIC didn't exist at the time, but they took over the files. It's in an AMC well, file. Let's put it that way. Okay, that's a better way to say it. it. It wasn't an AMC file. So that's three p three places. It was easy for me to find. So well
1: the top intelligence that specialist was in that OVKIC. was
0: the whole idea is we don't know where that letter is it was very easy to find so um this is this is the way they've run things uh Barry greenwood says the government is incapable of being honest about UFOs that's his uh that's what he says about the, uh, the government. Um, well,
1: Edward Ruppelt Most everything said. they say,
0: you can, you know, uh, they contradict themselves so much, It's unbelievable. So well,
1: didn't Ruth Health explain that? Because on the very last page of his book, he said about Project Blue Book to swing back to the old Project Grudge philosophy of analyzing UFOs. Right. Yeah, it was
0: exactly. Yeah, when you left, that's what was down, happening. But
1: write them off right he has yes, all they wanted to do exactly is what, write them yeah. off
0: as graham said operates. yeah he said it's going it's swinging back to the way after project sign they changed the name and i think the name is very uh it indicates <laughs> the way uh, ufo's were treated by the uh by the top brass at the time it's called project yeah
1: that lasted from, from uh, February, yes. February
0: 1949 <laughs> to uh, into 1951. There's a psychology <laughs> behind that. And when Luca was put in charge, he was told to, uh, um, we're going to have a different attitude towards UFOs, and, and he was told in 1951. He said, "We want a new project." At first, they called it Revitalized Project Grudge, but then they decided Project Blue Book. So that started in in uh, 1952. But Ruppert had already been given the job of starting a new uh, a new project with new personnel. Well, I was
1: born the day after Christmas, 1951. So welcome, Project Blue Book, 1952. And I guess that's what most of the kids today, because of the History Channel, which I told you we'd talk about tonight, (laughs) and uh, Travel Channel, Discovery Channel, all the channels, they say TV's dead, but live streaming is sure alive, because everybody's their brother wants a TV channel now, and I've even got ACO TV now, so everybody's going to do their own live streaming and making your own youtube so i've been doing my part for us now with this uh thing about you you being an expert which we all know you are how did uh, you get with dr bruce Maccabee because you got on a list uh from somewhere back with the ufo history in the day because i remember back in when I was active in Newfound, and we had Bigelow involved and the Star, uh, what do we call them, Star something investigators. But it was James Carryon, and then it was uh, Captain McDonald. But you were uh, recommended to me back in the day. And when it was uh, among uh, men in black or women in black or both, I guess you get uh, Yankee Black is what. Rick Doty calls it because you have your radio signs, uh, Alpha Bravo Charlie Delta Echo. You know all the way up to Zulu, and they named it Yankee. And then a black, an undercover or classified, top secret or above, or like you say, special compartmentalized are bred into briefings nowadays. We're uh, we gotta sort of help people since you and I are doing it our way. We're doing it our way, folks, because uh, Dr. Bruce McAbee helped us with the Central Intelligence Agency and I guess NSA with all the Edward Snowden bringing out people. So it's all trying to become known, and we're open source intelligence with the splintering of the new Internet, if anybody's noticing. So, Jan, with this said, UFO Association by UAP associates, so we're going to use UFO and UAP. So I've seen a whole bunch of Facebook groups. To you know, on my phone today, I, I, I didn't want to get back into social media, but I'm being called by the universe, I guess, to come back. And that's the only place you'll post your stuff lately that I can grab. So I've got to get that all over and cut and paste it over onto our blog or our AP. UAP or uh, UFO Association, I've got so many folks. I've got to grab it and put it all in one place, which was Jan's suggestion. But this is a big undertaking. It's very daunting, and Jan is trying to concentrate on all the old files and scanning them and getting them over to a uh, University of Mexico where another gentleman is becoming very well-known and famous. I think he's a member of Mutual UFO Network. I don't even know. Why don't you talk a little bit about where you're at Now, but, uh, folks, you needed to know the history, and we're going to, I guess you'd say, braid it in, or we call it threads and tracks at the conventions. And we can talk about, you know, uh, Stephen, Wendell Stevens and Bob Brown, Laughlin. A lot of people only know when the event started happening that it got popular So I've never been to one of those folks. I was never allowed. I was what's called a bona fide investigator, private investigator to legal investigator to government investigator to intelligence officers and security and working for FBI files and naval investigative services and collecting the reports and then being in charge of clearances and classified documents and working like Jan over in Germany but I was in Hawaii so here we are folks now we're retired offering you how we are forming what we know about all the people that got shoved under the rug are all the information that we're trying to find and help all the people like us that have either been in uniform or out of uniform or retired willing to work on this we're volunteers and we're veterans. So. Jan, take it away. How can we pull all this together for people and show them what you're doing now versus what Project Blue Book did back then? Because you know all these UAP groups are showing up all over the place on Facebook, social media groups. Back to you.
0: Well, the official official stuff is Project Blue Book files are now available at the National Archives or you can uh you can get uh uh microfilms with the uh with the Project Blue Book files on them so and with the Project Blue Book files there's a number of other files uh Air Force Office of Special Intelligence files the um one of the field units, the forty-six hundred second Air Intelligence Service Squadron, um, the uh, U.S. Air Force um, uh, Intelligence Agency at Fort Eustis, they all have uh, they all had had files when Project Blue Book closed. So those are now available. You can get those from the government, but then after 1970, it becomes harder to get things. They claim they're not investigating, and that may be true. For some years, they may not have, they had let it go and just recorded things and put them in files. In fact, the Deputy Secretary of Defense for Public Information said in 1977, "We do not, um, we do not investigate any longer. We record them and file them. And one of the places they filed them were, was the National Military Command Center uh, at Fort Meade." And when people were talking about the 1975 overflights, that's where uh, Robert Todd and Barry Greenwood found the uh, overflight information at the National Military Command Center. And if you look at the documents from that era, they're stamped with National Military Command Center. So So the uh, the deputy secretary of defense for uh public information is essentially correct um, now robert todd wrote to uh he uh he wrote a, he he sent a lot of uh freedom of information requests to the uh office of naval intelligence so he got to know the uh, FOIA officer there pretty well, because he was always sending him requests. And uh, most of the time, he said, that, you know, they said, we don't have anything. To, we have no documents that fit your your description. So finally, Todd wrote him a letter one day saying, hey, Listen. We found these. Uh, we found some of these Navy reports that you say you don't have records of. We found them in other places, and they exist. They said, "O and I's fingerprints are all over these things." They said, "What? What's? Why is that?" Well, Freedom of Information. They don't have to answer any questions you just tell them what documents you want and where you think they are, and they will tell you, okay, we looked for them and we found them and they may declassify them or tell you, no, we're not declassifying that, that's still secret, so you can't get it. Or they'll partially declassify it or they'll say we never had it, or we don't have it now. Can
1: you explain to people about the classification at this point in the, our conversation? Because you and I both handled classified material, but we also had to classify it. Do you remember? When yeah, you yeah. So there's uh,
0: there was there was there were four classifications after the war. Um,
1: Korea or World War Two
0: about World War II so it's restricted <coughs> confidential secret and top secret so the uh Eisenhower did away with restricted other other governments uh still use restricted that was the lowest classification but Eisenhower just He said everything that's restricted is now declassified. So he just did away with that classification in 1954.
1: Now, is the UFO files in the Eisenhower Library, wherever that is? I don't even know. Versus Nixon? There's not not much on
0: UFOs in his library.
1: What about Reagan's? Because Reagan immediately wanted the UFO report because i worked during that era no there's not there's not much
0: in, in there is some stuff in truman's library there's some uh, there's some material in almost all the president's library now they said well, they found they a big trove of things in obama's library
1: aha hey he, he scarfed it did he or well what they, the they say it's, it's going to take five people. years
0: to declassify him so, so it depends of course on who
1: was in office
0: Oh yeah, there's so a lot of documents in it? Obama's uh, presidential library, um, and they're saying it's going to take time to, for them to declassify it. Look, the um, they should be declassified immediately so that the uh, the the uh, new guys that are uh, running the UFO program can see what the documents say. So it shouldn't take five years to do that.
1: Well, we're always manpower. We always complain manpower, just like we do in law enforcement. You know, they don't want law enforcement, and then they do want law enforcement. They do want government, and then they don't want government. So the deal is, how do we get all the people like you right now? You're scanning, and we should have, you know, lots of people helping do this. Even our baby boomers retired helping, you know, if we could – Trust them not to scarf them or take them, but the, our trust issues have been part of the whole project as well. So manpower, money, and then why do certain, uh, like why do certain presidents get certain amount of classified to be declassified and put in there?
0: Because uh, people have asked for it. Robbery? you know uh, Clinton had all kinds of he he wanted uh he wanted to know about things so he's got stuff in his library um, there's a lesson uh, um truman eisenhower kennedy johnson um, uh there's there, uh, Reagan. There's not much in their libraries.
1: Reagan, you would think, have there's, a lot. There's because... a very
0: little bit in Clinton. <coughs> Clinton's library, but uh, well, there's not I'm... much in the Bush in either of the Bush's libraries that we know about. Should the be. big, the big cash is in uh, Obama's.
1: Think about it. Why did Bush's daddy get a you know, big old man? I guess he was from your, wasn't he from your area, Connecticut? When the Bushes really Yeah, from... the,
0: bushes are from, the Bushes are from Connecticut. But well, they, they, they moved down to Houston. Texas a long time ago.
1: Yeah, that's where I met the president. And then my family, you know, catered to the Bushes because they ate at our grocery stores uh, there in Houston. So, you know, my brother-in-law's store, married to Wendy, is Gary Finley, so this is part of history, where, you know, the Bushes, Mr. and Mrs. Bush, and the Secret Services all came into Houston and shopped, and then uh, they had a chef, and they asked Gary to help, you know, the chef promote his book there at the grocery store, stuff like that. So that was Houston. That's where I'm from. That's where I met Bush and Reagan. But you're from Connecticut. Were you born in Connecticut, or you just bought a house there? How'd you get? No, I was
0: born in Ohio.
1: But you're in Bush Country, Connecticut, or Pappy
0: Bush, right? Well, so, no, yeah. no, 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 no. The the, I, uh, the last Bush I think was that 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 was here was uh, Prescott Bush, and he was a senator. They all moved down to Texas a long time ago.
1: Well, they moved out. uh, Yeah. So when
0: uh, in the 60s, Prescott Bush was uh, he ran for senator again when Goldwater is in. But, you know, that was a massacre for Republicans. So he didn't get it. But he had been senator before.
1: But he's the one that got his son George Bush, the first George Bush, into office, wasn't he? Helped George get into office.
0: Yeah, but they, you know, they they don't live up here anymore. They live in Texas. Well, they they, I they know, haven't lived I here, and he had, they haven't lived here since uh, since the sixties.
1: Right, they'd go visit Court, places like that. That's the name, though. Isn't it? Hey, well, how did you wind up in Connecticut? Because that's so far away, and that's where Stanton Friedman was over there, like Nova Scotia or somewhere. Because you know, it was really was, expensive to talk to him. He was way up there, uh, another time zone. <laughs> my fa-
0: my father was uh, working for National Smelting, I think. Uh, and then he went to work for uh, Chase Brass and Copper in Waterbury, Connecticut. So he was there from, uh, I guess, the early f- the early fifties until uh, um, the sixties. Uh, then he went to work for Saint Joseph Lead. Which was he was following the minerals.
1: He, what he was? Right. A he
0: was he was he he was a chemist. He was an analytical chemist. So whoa, and, boy, back in that And he said, time, Saint, that must have been So Saint Joe was. He said the best place he worked for. Saint Joe. But connected? it became Saint Joe Minerals. It was. It used to be lead. They, you know, the main thing was lead for batteries.
1: Ah, now we're getting to the nuts and bolts. So but, why uh, the ET people picked you? Because we need batteries on the planet.
0: <laughs>
1: but, you know they use well, crystals in space, but you know down here, <laughs> well we have to So
0: yeah, my dad. My dad was a uh, he was an analytical chemist. So, whoa. He did. He now, he, he analyzed. Uh, silver and then uh, most of the common metals you know like and when he went to work for saint Bra- saint joe or excuse me when he went to work for uh chase brass and copper they started getting into the exotic metals like uh titanium they were in the ground floor on titanium. They let it slip through their fingers. They uh, were they were in the ground floor of uh, rhenium. They let that slip through their fingers. Vanadium. Um, that's one thing he uh, he was unhappy about because he said. These guys, we developed the uh, the way to purify these metals and everything, and they uh, they just let them slip through their fingers and let somebody else take over. <laughs> so he, well, he went to work to, for Saint Joe. You know he was he was pretty uh, he was pretty unhappy until he went to work for Saint Joe and. Um, he felt they were uh, they were on the cutting edge of everything.
1: Well, tell people how this fits with the UFO because the government came in after World War II. You, you you guys all know how the women were doing the rivets and you know, we were all working, I'm saying we as women versus men, but we were all doing a lot of jobs because the men were needed overseas and World War are some of the government after that and you know with Project Paperclip, which fits into all this. We started to want to do the nuclear atom bombs, and we still say to this day that, you know, when we started doing all that nuclear stuff, they were all watching us from up above back then, and so that's, you know, history now. But your dad was uh, very important because we were all about mining minerals and getting into the nuclear business, which you had a clearance for, so, you know, all this is – all part of the ufo association now because we have different ways of looking at the same nuts and bolts of just not the spacecraft but the people flying it are the beings and we always need there were at least four or five minimum that we claimed when you know we came aboard and then some people said 65 you know clintford stone had his number oh, was it 57 59 i forget my husband had 68, I think, or 69. I like to remember that because he said 69 was his favorite number. I don't know how many Albert Rosales has, but do y'all have a, a list in your history groups from the old days that kept up with the alienology, for the alienologists listening, that keep up with the various types of Ebens or aliens or those that look like, you know, grays, tall or white or the light blue skin or? any of that, do do you have any uh, data that you're finding on other than the Roswell crash?
0: Well, we, you know, there's always, there's always, in 1973 was, you know, big reporting thing for, uh, for uh, uh, years. uh, A lot of people call it the year of the humanoids. So there's
1: so how many
0: There were all uh, kinds of, of unusual reports in 1973. Yeah. <laughs> and Dave Webb was uh Dave Webb, Ted Blocher, uh Dr. Harder um yeah to a certain extent Isabel Davis. They were all looking into that kind of thing. Did they only um, say
1: they were undercover or underground only because
0: when – No, uh, nobody said we, they were underground. I don't know anybody – well, I do know people that believe that, but I don't. I don't think so. Well, these I, were they were, they all, were these p- all these things were associated with UFOs. You don't see uh, UFO uh, uh, occupants running underground.
1: Well, I think what they meant um, was they took some underground, but then, you know, some of the folklore, which we have to separate. Yeah, well, that's what know. I think
0: that is, is folklore, because there's no... Anyways, Dave uh, um, uh, Wood was one of, the, one of the big guys that did humanoid studies. Okay. So now he's now, he, he turned uh, he turned about half of his files over to uh, Barry Greenwood, <clears throat> and so they're going into the scanning project.
1: Was he a scientist or was he, he in the government?
0: Huge, he had huge he had huge in numbers of reports of of these uh, uh, humanoids. So he uh, he had what he called the HumCat, and he and Blocher worked on that. So I have project? some of the stuff that Ted Blocher did. And Kufos had a lot of stuff that Ted Blocher did. So putting this all together it's quite a it's quite a collection. And uh, that's what we're trying to separate. do. We're trying to put all this stuff together. People like yeah. well um you know, there there a lot of people still have their hmm. their own files and investigations like Walter Webb Dave Webb, um, uh, uh, Dr. James McDonald his, his, most of his material is at the University of Arizona. So, uh, uh, I just got through with going to Rice University and looking at Dr. Richard Haynes' material and he was uh he was interested in in aircraft sighting so um i got to see his material got some got material for for the scanning project from there uh, and let's see uh erica Luke got uh and Ruffles files so that's a that's a pretty big set of, uh, of files. And we got Ant- Anthony Huenas who had uh, contacts all over the world. He used to go to all over. He used to go speak all over the world. So like he said, everywhere he went people gave him magazines and books and things. So he had this giant collection. So uh we got most of the case files from him years ago, but now we have his whole all his files we have all his files so dave's working right now on eighty eight boxes of u f o material that he's uh trying to get in into uh uh organize it so uh kufos can use it so
1: now which Dave are you talking about? The one in Mexico that's new on? Yeah,
0: yeah, Dave Mahler. He he's he's <laughs> he he went and picked up Antonio's files and uh Antonio had uh <coughs> T V program and he also did he did um like blogs before there were blogs and he did a lot of speaking and he you know he went all over he went to south america he went to japan he went to china he did uh, work in in europe so he has stuff from all over that's so i went down the and got uh i i went down and got uh dr willie smith's files and he had in what Florida? was called the Unicat. So Dr. Well, Willie Smith worked with Hynek.
1: But Willie Smith in Florida down here where I'm in Gulf Breeze, but he was what, Miami? Where did you go in Florida? To pick he those was in up? South oh, the, Miami. Uh, yeah, Miami. Okay. Now, that's where uh, J. Allen Hynek went to recuperate for his cancer, Right. Right.
0: Yep.
1: Now you, did you, you meet him? You said you never, you weren't at Willie Smith's when you went there after he passed, right?
0: That's right. I never met Heineck.
1: That is so strange because you're doing so much work for him and his organization that do you give J. Allen Heineck the creation or the university? Because how do, how do we? He started the Center for UFO Studies himself in Chicago, right? He is the founder.
0: Right. So now he, but he was the he was the Air Force scientific advisor for Project Blue Book. Right. That's really for Project got, Sign, Project Grudge, and Project Blue Book.
1: That's how he got famous. I think <laughs> he was and there for more.
0: <sighs> He was there for most of the 20 years that the government had the UFO uh, investigations.
1: But he got involved from the UFO. So they
0: they would ask him to uh, look at cases and everything, and they would send him files. So he has files. uh, He said
1: overnight. The government has lost.
0: What do you mean? The government? So he wants? has files because <laughs> they sent him copies a of a lot of things, and so if you're looking for something and you can't find it <laughs> in Project Blue Book, then one of the next places to look is kufos to see if <laughs> he can it, because oh um, he he wasn't very good. Filer and everything, but uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, that Dave is trying to get all these files organized.
1: Right. Well, so,
0: think about so. So what Kufos had and what NICAP had, and CSI New York and CSI Los Angeles had, that's pretty well organized. And what Heineck had, that's pretty well, well organized who got,
1: now. Who got Carl's? Who got Carl's out of Wisconsin? Carl for APRO. uh, Carl's
0: Carl's files are down in Arizona, and the people that have them weren't going to give them up.
1: Oh, no. So, they can't be public at the museums or libraries? They're not in any presidential file? Nothing. They're just... So, that's the difference, folks. So, uh,
0: the Part, part of the files were microfil, uh, microfilmed. But, you know, we got so many con men in ufology.
1: They want that, to say it uh, like uh, archaeologists. What do they call those people that steal art? You know, they're not con men. Tra- uh, well, grave gra- gra-
0: robbers. Yeah, there's grave gra- robbers.
1: <laughs> we have
0: grave robbers uh, in business. <laughs> <laughs> had one of the uh, one of the microfilms uh, and we uh, you know I didn't know this I I was just talking to him one day he says uh, the the uh, the APRO files and he said there was made I said to say oh really
1: that, yeah. you bet say yeah. that one more time we you drop, I don't know why it's but the airway uh, three dropped.
0: three microfilms were made of the a p r o files up till nineteen seventy two so from pre forty seven to nineteen seventy
1: two well her husband three died microfilms like
0: 80, were made
1: they didn't die till the eighties like eighty six and eighty nine wasn't it yeah yeah, but 25.
0: that's the that's the last time the microfilms were made. So Brad says we got it. We got it. Brad's talking to me. He says we got to trace these down. He said I have tried to trace them down because after the Lorenzens died, two of them went to uh, Bill English and then they disappeared. Oh no, <laughs> that's not true. So bad. I uh, he said, but I've got the first one. I said, Oh, oh really? So so you've one. got the first one. What does the first one run? He said it goes from pre-47 to the December 1956. Okay, that's good. And I said, so we're not going to get the 1957 flap from you, huh? And he says mm-hmm. no. So he sent me the microfilm. Wow. I copied it copies. into about 12 copies. So. It wouldn't you. get lost. So other people would have it. That's what I did. I distributed that around. So Barry wow. Greenwood's got and a copy. Barry huh?
1: Greenwood. Who else? Yeah, give us your twelve choices. You've decided to make a dozen. Well, I
0: copies. uh clue has got a copy. Um force got a copy. Uh um Ron Dyke's got one? a copy. You give it one to. Lauren uh, Gross has got a copy. Um, uh, I think uh, I think I sent one to AFU. Uh, and uh, uh, there's some other people I sent them to.
1: Will you so, make us a list in your 19 project 1947? Your 12 choices. Or the carl lorenzen pile yeah. but that's only a sm- one small part we, she- we
0: we had over we had almost 400 microfilms
1: and you've only got one
0: about uh about uh um say 300 or, or uh yeah right about 250 250- were government microfilms.
1: Carl Lorenzen got?
0: No, no, that I had. No,
1: no. Okay, you're off of that. St- okay.
0: You have micro- I'm off 400 of Carl. microfilms. Carl had okay. three microfilms made.
1: Okay, three. You had 12. So
0: the government had Project Blue Book. That's, that's 106 microfilms. Okay, so we're up to 109. Uh, uh, The uh, radar cases, radar photographs, and the Air Force Office of Special Investigations
1: files.
0: So... You have a uh, microfilm the that. They, they, I think there's nine files.
1: Hundred nine nine. The other thing we had
0: is the project sign microfilms. There's nine of them, but we only have seven.
1: So we should have one hundred eighteen, and nine is one hundred and what <laughs> twenty
0: seven. Right. right. Okay. Then there were some but specialized you, films. There was two after Life magazine. They got after Life magazine and then Look magazine did an article on UFOs in 1952. So those are my Air Force got bombarded with letters. Wow. People asking questions, people giving them theories. But a lot of these letters were sightings all the way back to the 19th century.
1: Right, they're all. So there's two. There's two mic.
0: There's there's two microfilms of that. So there's probably about a thousand sightings on those microfilms.
1: So we don't have anything from the 1800s unless it's in books or art form. Yeah,
0: art. books or newspapers.
1: Okay. So everybody knows that. So we're going to start at the 1900s, or do we start strictly 1943, 38? Because Lorenzen saw her UFO, and she was the one that got interested. Well, in I, I got I got be two beautiful. microfilms
0: that are uh, – Night fighter squadrons. All the uh all the operational and intelligence reports for the for each night fighter squadron. So if you look on my what site case? Um forty three to forty five.
1: So you wanna tell people when we're doing it linear with time because even though we may think now Quanta or Universal or whatever you want to call it. Here on this planet, we're still talking timelines, and we're using uh, a benchmark for World War II for the UFO Association, folks, just so you know, and that's just how we've got to do it, and uh, if you've got anything before, what, UFO, uh, World War II, so much was destroyed, You know, that's why they called it a world war, <laughs> so they started of demolished well, world war 1 and
0: world war there, II, there two, was so there was a there was, was a file that the FBI had I haven't seen it I've seen stuff from it it was from the first world war
1: wow the fbi and it was it file. was
0: called it was called german airships because people were re- reporting strange things in the Who's sky talking? and the fbi was keeping a file on them Nice. Yeah.
1: Call them Luftwaffe. Is that how they said it? It was German. Because the hydrogen, they had some, they didn't, they were going to be, that was the latest traffic
0: Well, yeah, you know, that's what they thought, you know, people the thought terrain. they were. But if you, if you, if you look at the cases, there's a lot of them are UFO-like. Yeah. So, uh... So we- so people well, like Orville Hartle in Indiana, he used to he used to come up with a lot of early cases like that.
1: So you go up uh, to people that were historians or researchers. How do you get after Carl Lawrence? how do you find all these people? Because I've only gone back to her in Wisconsin. So uh, who do we go before well, her?
0: Well, Orville Hartle was one of the first NICAP subcommittee chairmen. What year? So he had, uh, he, he had, uh, Indiana unit one and he started in the fifties. So he would, and he, he was a real careful investigator. He went out, he, he recorded interviews with people he talked to and he had stuff going all the way back to the, uh, 1909.
1: When I was indoctrinated in 67 and 68 through Chris Craft and NASA, the uh, underground after Carl Lorenzen, they came down and made the Texas Mutual UFO Network group. But before that group got there, I was taken over to a man's house. I still remember where it was in southwest part of the uh, I wanted to remember, but it was late at night and it was dark, but he had, behind a wall in his house, he had all this library, like you walk into a library with that many books stacked up to like his ceiling, you know, where the, of all books, and it was nothing but files and books in Houston, but he had something to do with astronauts and NASA. I was just a teenager like 16, 17 years old being indoctrinated with, you know, IBM and uh, TRW and NASA and, you know, what contractors were and all of that. And I got to go listen to the, uh, you know, like a secretary listening to the headphones when the men walked on the moon. But I know they walked on the moon. And I told you I heard, you know, bogeys 10 o'clock high. So. That was part of my indoctrination. So there are individuals. Would you happen to know who that is, Jan?
0: No, I got no idea. I don't either. But yeah.
1: I know there was at least so, one. It was a secret. So um but, so you're saying so that. Isabel you have no idea.
0: Davis in New York and she was one of the early no. Uh, 1950. 1950. They had these, they had a group called the Civilian Saucer Intelligence oh, yeah. in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got any
1: of that?
0: <laughs> so Alexander Mabane was the leader of the group. But before before the uh, Alexander Mabane, Isabel Davis and Ted Blocher, they were the big three. They were the research committee. Okay. Only um, for New York? Before that before that, uh the uh, organization was run by uh John Duberry, who was the uh um the editor of True Magazine. So you see all the true articles. So he was part of the, uh, Dr. S. N. Baruch, who was, uh, a, a, a relative of Bernard Baruch. And Bernard Baruch's son was in the Navy. He was a Naval reservist. Then he's the one that came up with service reports, uh, Uh, instructions for reporting vital intelligence. Bernard Baruch, Jr., he was the one that was, uh, he's the one that invented service. Uh, Service reports started flowing through the system in 1951 and have never stopped. So when they told Congress, oh, we don't know what's going on right now, these guys are either ignorant or they're lying. They don't because service them. reports have stopped flowing through the system. Doesn't the U.S.
1: Congress have their own library? any
0: reason? The Canadians do not see any reason to classify service reports, so they let them go public but the Americans are, they classify everything. So you'll you will see service reports from the 50s and the 60s around the blue book time, but you won't see very many afterwards.
1: And but if you look at the Canadian Eisenhower, stuff, right? if you look at the Canadian
0: stuff, they have not classified that. So uh, because of NORAD, Canada, and the U.S. are in NORAD. So there's two different philosophies here. The Canadians do not think that UFOs uh, are a, a threat. So what they did is uh, they did not classify service reports. But the Americans are paranoid so all the service reports coming through the system are are classified and they oh. they denied for decades that they had any service reports and then uh they've that was uh, French...
1: over their jobs, military jobs
0: so, so the air force uh,
1: got trapped with that and still, basically, because the Air Force is still going to control the UAP branch, isn't that the way it still is? Some things never change. No, the the,
0: the Navy's the Navy's supplying the manpower now. The Air Force isn't doing anything.
1: Well, I was Okay, the let me talk about a little talk. bit about
0: this service reports because it's important. People right, can't don't can't report. get this through their head that that the they never stopped reporting UFOs through the service system. Okay. All these guys that think they know everything, they don't know anything. Service reports started in fifty one and have continued up to twenty twenty two. We know this because we can see the Canadian ones. The Americans said, we don't have any files. So uh, uh, years ago, Bernard Thouiné, he was the editor of BSD Magazine in France. He asked for an interview with the NORAD commander. So he went to NORAD, and uh, he asked the NORAD commander about UFOs, and he says, well, we get them, but we don't have any budget to investigate them. It wasn't quite the truth. But anyways, uh, he asked about service reports, and no, there's nothing there. But there's a whole bunch of Canadians in NORAD, and they speak – A lot of them speak French. So Bernard, while he was there in NORAD, he got asking around, and one of the Canadians said, oh, yeah, yeah, these things, uh, they come in here all the time. Uh, uh, We just uh, put them on microfish." And so I said, okay, that's a good rumor. Uh, But then... And Druffel wrote to Secretary of Defense Brown and said, I have been told that service reports are not saved, but I have a, uh, a fighter pilot from Korea, 1957, that said he submitted a service report and he would like to see it again. So then the Air Force wrote, in answer to her letter saying, we do have files of service reports. But so many agencies are involved, we can't declassify them. They will be difficult to re- declassify them. So they admitted that they have these things, even though they've been telling people we don't investigate anymore, we don't do this or we don't do that. Service reports never stop. JNF 146 that told you how to make them and who would do it and how it would be handled uh, has been uh, superseded. But there are still instructions on how to do service reports. And service reports still flow through the system. And like I said, the Canadians don't consider them classified. So if it it starts with a Canadian Canadian facility or Canadian airliner or the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, they're not classified. And uh, about... uh, 25 years, 30, 25 to 30 years ago, I'm not sure exactly what, uh, Chris Rakowski was, um, uh, he was at some meeting and there was some talk about service reports and, you know, uh, Canadian UFO reports. And there's, you know, the uh, government people were saying, you know, these are a pain in the neck. Um uh they they had uh a uh Dr. Milliken, he was he was in charge of these. It's uh, it's called the uh um non meteoritic files. Another anything that was that, that came through official files that wasn't a meteor or uh you know uh on un- uh aircraft or anything like that they went into the non-meteoritic files and rakowski said well why don't you send them to me <laughs> <laughs> so um a little while later he was contacted he said you're the point of contact for ufos in canada all official reports that go through the canadian Government, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the military, uh, the non-meteoritic file, service reports, reports uh, from uh, Transport Canada. They will all come to you. And so for about 25 years, he's been getting these things. And he just turned his files over to the, he works at the University of Manitoba. He just turned these files over to uh, the University of Manitoba. So they will be scanned and public. Because as I said, Canada doesn't classify these things. So that's a view. What the Canadians are doing is a view into what the Americans are doing. So the Americans want to classify everything and the Canadians are not into classifying UFO reports. So we can watch what the Canadians are doing and we can see what's going on in North America. And that's going to be at the University of Manitoba. And there's enough money there for the scanning project on the Canadian reports to begin. And Rakowski gave University of Manitoba. The government files that he that they gave to him and his own files, so uh they have enough money now they they had a one of those uh what do they call it when you uh they uh kick start or something like that I forget what it was anyways um I had some money in the I had uh, Project Nineteen Forty Seven. I had people that sent me money. So uh, when they got a certain amount in their in their uh, uh, GoFundMe, that's what they called it. GoFundMe. When they got a certain amount in their GoFundMe um, uh, funds. I gave them the nineteen for uh project nineteen forty seven money that people have donated over the years and so now they have uh, they have money to uh the university has money to uh scan these things
1: so which university did you give the money to
0: the university of manitoba
1: manitoba to canada
0: Right, because it's you know these are Canadian UFO reports, and Chris <laughs> Rakowski works at the University of Manitoba, and he's the yeah. point of contact for UFOs in Canada.
1: Okay, well, so much for made in the USA, folks. <laughs> we're all one and the same on the planet. So as long as we're all UFO hunters, UFO associates, uh, ufologists, daily... So uh, pretty- he
0: has he has the prior the prior they put things on uh microfilm okay so the canadian that's yeah that's another set of microfilms we have is the canadian how many do you have of those <laughs> up, up, up to the 70s up to the 70s i got from the canadian archives so uh, a number of microfilms with the Canadian reports on there. Okay. Wow.
1: So, so where that's all part
0: this- of that part of that 350 microfilms that we have.
1: Goodness sakes. So all of that's going to the University of Mexico, plus the University of Manitoba. And is this all under Project 1947, or does each human... No, no, Murkowski's
0: doing the Canadian stuff.
1: Well, each humanoid on the planet, or each biological, are uh, what do we call the humanoid species? Mm-hmm. So sentient, intelligent beings of the UFO Association. are They're not all called historians or ufologists or researchers. Do they... Some of them analysts, some are investigators, some journalists, reporters, researchers, some writers, bloggers, bloggers, some are videographers. You know, we have all types, but every group. So, so, so,
0: Murkowski's been putting stuff on his on his blog. He has a blog. uh, um,
1: Famous UFO. Yeah,
0: UFO research. Manitoba, that's his blog, UFO Research Manitoba. So for years, he's been putting official re- Canadian reports on his blog, plus things that he investigates, plus things that people send him. So if you want to know something about UFOs, you know, everybody uh, thinks they've got all the information. No, there's all kinds of sources of information that people don't even realize exists. So Chris Rakowski's blog is called uh, UFO Research Manitoba. And so what I've been doing is, as I've, uh, he puts official reports on his blog too. So I've got uh, 2022 service reports that he's put on his blog or elsewhere. Sometimes he puts them on Facebook of reports. Um, a, a few years ago, I asked him, how far does the service reports go? He says, 2019. It's the last one I got. So just a little while ago, he started putting uh, some up on his on his uh on his uh facebook page he said you know since uh since i talked to you I, i've got these so he had he has these reports that and like i said the canadians are in norad but they have a different philosophy than the americans about ufo's so if we watch what the canadians do we get an insight as to what the Americans are doing.
1: Well, it says according and to, to me the... that's
0: amazing, but all these people that know everything about UFOs, they don't. It's really, uh, um, so as far as the official government goes, that's, and uh, the same thing with the French. So I'm going through and I'm doing I'm doing project Blue book so we used to have air bases in North Africa and uh Morocco used to be associated with the French so we had an air base in Morocco So uh I got this report from the US air base in Morocco mm-hmm. So to me, that's very interesting. But then here's the French. They put on their website, here's a report from a guy that served at the uh, 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 air base in Morocco uh, with the Americans. And that's the same report I got from Project Blue Book. This guy, is he was there then, and he was involved, but from the French side and it's on uh the the uh, Yipan. it's on their website so i'm saying you know this is this is this is amazing so um, uh, the americans we're all over the place so uh In Australia, I got several reports from the Australian government UFO site that are American military pilots reporting stuff to the Australians while they were in Australia. Um, Same in New Zealand, same in England, same in Canada. And and like I said, in France and so uh we also have things from the, the South African government in Blue Book. The Urugu- uh, Uruguayan uh intelligence is there's stuff from Uruguay in Blue Book, there's stuff from Brazil in Blue Book, there's stuff from um Argentina, Chile, NICAP had a uh, an investigative subcommittee in Chile. So they sent in stuff to NICAP. Uh, now the Chileans have a uh, government, semi-official government uh, investigation. And they were giving stuff to Richard Haynes. So, I looked at their files um i am very i was very amused the uh it, they're trying to organize their u f o thing down there and the Chilean navy says uh, we're kind of uh miffed about the Americans, and so uh Cain said, can you find out what what the problem is? So in Antarctica, in 1956, they had this expedition down there. Several guys, they got, uh, there was a UFO. Uh, It interfered with their equipment. They made a report when they got back they made a report um uh the guys that made the report don't remember where it went but they made it on u.s air force questionnaires and then the uh chilean navy said we sent these to the u.s navy through the u.s embassy and in santiago chile and we never got any uh feedback (laughs) so they're unhappy about something that happened 70 years ago (laughs) so are we still on yeah
1: we're still on they uh They'll probably catch, Okay, catch so that 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 minutes, that's, I
0: think that's kind of an amusing story. Now, uh <laughs> the last well. living the last living per, per uh uh person from the Robertson Island uh expedition uh was just in the newspapers and he also talked about that UFO case in filling out the paperwork, and it went to the United States. So that's interesting. So somewhere, because it's not in Project Blue Book, somewhere there's a, uh, uh, a UFO report from Antarctica from the Chilean uh, expedition. Uh But it's not in Project Blue Book. Oh, uh, let me talk to you about some of the other microfilms. Um, Lynn Cato worked at the Library of Congress. So some of the money that was put aside for the Air Force uh, when they did the Condit Committee, the Library of Congress got money. And... Mm -hmm uh she was she was in charge of u f o s linkato was for the government the government was doing this so she was supposed to make a bibliography of all the books about u f o s and journals and articles and things like that so she did this it's it's a big book you could still get it uh it's available on uh Amazon, as a matter of fact, it's a government book. But she also got uh, Isabel Davis's, she put together four scrapbooks for CSI New York and NICAP. And uh, it's more than four uh, scrapbooks, but it turned out to be four microfilms. And that's part of the government project. They they microfilmed those uh, 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 those scrapbooks that Isabel Davis had. And, uh, you know, those are available to the public. They've been available to the public since 1968. Nobody's taken advantage of it. I called down to the library of Congress when I started project 1947. And I said, uh, uh, what do you have there from, uh, is Lynn Cato still there? Can I talk to her? And the, uh, the li- the librarian told me, no, she's not here. I don't, I don't know who she is. He said, I never met her. I said, you know, I talked about the UFO project with him and he says, uh, I'll take your number and call you back. I never expected to hear from him again. About uh, three days later, he says, you know, we got a whole bunch of microfilms here in the vault. Some of them have never been developed. I can send you copies of them if you want them. He said, It's gonna cost you a little bit of money. And I said, Yes, let me copy it. So that's that's another hundred government microfilms that I got. It's mostly stuff though that was done in the private sector. Except these uh really Im- important four these four microfilms of uh C S I nightcap uh um, scrapbooks because um, whatever happened to uh, those scrapbooks when NICAP uh, fell apart nobody knows so they're on microfilm so the government saved those for us so um, and I you know I like to have them because I always felt that, that Isabel Davis was my mentor Whenever I'd go down to NICAP, I would see her. So I go down to Washington, see, and stay uh, at NICAP for a while. Um, you know, when I was on leave, sometimes. So, and I, I always felt that she was my mentor. She she told me she showed me how to do investigations, how to uh, research, and things like that
1: well, I guess tonight we're gonna to have to call it a night but can you come back Friday or Saturday night or both or you want to uh, sure sure plan on next week we'll see which one folks uh, whatever happens will happen we're playing with each other hoping we're still alive <laughs> being baby boomers and yeah I'm, yeah your- yeah that's uh, what
0: I'm worried about I'm trying to get all my stuff organized <laughs> so somebody can come and get it if I Yes, you you transition. I I've sent forty three boxes. I sent forty three boxes already to uh, New Mexico.
1: Wow! Thank God I was just a PR uh, or ambassador of goodwill for all this. All I had to do is sit back, observe, and tell people, "Yeah, I'll keep it out there going." I didn't have any clue when they told me. They said, "Well, how did you do it before?" And I said, "Computers." And I was like, "Wait, where did that come from?" But that was asked that in 94 but you know jay allen hammock asked me in 85 but you know chris Kraft asked me in 67 so our the government did it said washington dc i don't know if that was the pentagon or who it was yvonne mccuchins whoever that she was the recruiter yvonne mccuchins of houston so she was a government person and then uh carl schleicher i found out the smoking man right he was air force down there Snooping around us, young kids at NASA, all that, hanging out with uh, Dr. Richard Allen Miller, and then that was Ed- Edgar Mitchell. So they all got with that stuff on the moon and all that, you know. So uh, it's all one—it's all one big family, folks. Believe it or not, everybody knows everybody, but most of them are passing over now. So we're trying to play catch up with Jan Aldrich, who was appointed for alien contact work. ACO UFO association between Stanton Friedman and Dr. Bruce McAbee. So we'll take this up again. Uh, I guess we'll try for Friday, if not Saturday, or we'll just see maybe both. Again. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're doing good, Jean. as long as your breath holds out, uh, we'll keep doing oral reports and we never know what's going to come out. So whatever comes off the top of his head or he's got notes on and, uh, then uh, we'll just keep going, and if you want to come on the other nights of the week, I know there's a lot of guys, the MUFON guys, and different state heads want to come on. So, yeah, I you just have to call me. I don't mind providing the platform. Just let me know, Jan. If you have anybody else that wants to come on and talk about their files, let me know. But in the meantime, you've got the star position as the UFO reporter right now for us. <laughs> so you're doing a good job we appreciate it and it's given a lot of people you know ways to know these names that they may not know that some of us just have names memorized but some of us don't so we're just trying to offer it as of june 2022 we're all working together out here in cyberspace culture folks all right well i will uh be glad to man the studio and push the buttons next week for you jan just uh, you said okay. you prefer seven. You you prefer seven year time instead of eight. Eastern. Right, right, yeah, seven,
0: seven uh, Eastern time.
1: And you prefer Friday over Saturday, or it doesn't matter,
0: or both. Yeah, both I think Friday's years. better.
1: All right, Friday at seven. I'm going to do my best to show up. That means I show up Central six, five Mountain, and four uh, Pacific. And we're five hours different between Hawaii So 7 would be 2 p.m. Hawaii. All you Hawaii folks All right And around the world, you know your time So we're, uh, you know, just go by Eastern Which where Jan is So we're going to block everything off at 7 Eastern For our next Friday All right, same time, same station This time for sure Friday, 7 Eastern folks And we'll continue oral reports With Jeanne Aldrich of Connecticut for the ufo association and uap associates and if you've got any ufo or uap groups let us know about them and make sure we get your link for your blog in our directory thank you jan look forward to next week okay you did a good job okay see you then thank you for your support all right goodbye all right here we go folks we're going to do some just a little uh music to get off at the station Here we go.
0: Sweet dreams are made of this. Who
1: am I to disagree? Travel the world and the seven seas. Everybody.
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign
1: up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere.